It's so good to be with you guys tonight. Thanks for having me. Um, I wish I could sit down with all of you and just hear how this passage met your heart, um, how you saw your own need in it, how Jesus' words intersected with your own life right now, and how you rest. It was really timely for me. Last fall, I sent my youngest son, Owen, to kindergarten. So I was supposed to have this one year of being at home, um, after being at home for 11 years momming, to just kind of regroup and figure out, what am I going to do with my new 9 to 3 life? So I did that for six months, and then all three were home back with me, just like many of you. Um, But for this fall, we've decided to homeschool, and so I have three boys, and the oldest is Liam, and he will be 12 next week. Isaac is 9, and Owen is 6. So I'm loving homeschooling. It is so fun, but it is definitely just another season where I need to cling to the Lord of the Sabbath and to really understand the Sabbath and to walk with Jesus so he can help me have a heart for the ones right in front of me. Now, over the course of COVID, I was experimenting with um, different kinds of quiet time formats. I just wanted something that I could do every single day. And so I landed on a series of questions So no matter what the passage of scripture that I would open to, I would just kind of randomly decide or be led by a little devotion and I would read a passage of scripture. And so these were the five questions that I pulled out of the passages of scripture, no matter what it was. And they were, who is God? Who is God in this passage? What is he asking of us? What are the consequences if we don't? So what do I need to confess? And then a reminder again, who is God? And so that is what I am going to um, go through tonight, um, those, five, those five questions. But before I begin, I want to define very simply the Sabbath day, or Shabbat, and then we'll go back into it in more depth later. The Sabbath is the day of rest, the seventh day. God spoke of it first in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, which connects the Sabbath to God's creation And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then given as the fourth of the Ten Commandments written here in Deuteronomy, starting in verse 12, God connects the Sabbath to redemption. It says, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or their sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Shabbat means he rested. And Tim Keller defines Sabbath as the deep rest. I'm going to say that a lot tonight. The deep rest. The Sabbath day is a day of rest. God created the earth and then rested. And he wanted to give that as a gift to us as well. It's like saying, daughter, I rested, so can you. But rest in me. I am the deep rest. 
I will set apart a place for you for eternity if you trust in me with your whole heart. And I will show you a sneak peek into that rest as I set apart a day for you each week if you can trust me with your whole life. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He designed it with the Father, gave it to us, and waits for us to receive it and to be restored by it. This sets the scene for our passage today. It is the Sabbath, Shabbat. Okay, so first question, who is God in this passage? Six things stood out to me. Here, God is the Son incarnate, Jesus Christ. Okay, so who is Jesus? First, Jesus is one who creates wonder in us. It's Shabbat. So I know we've brought up the chosen, and there's actually an episode where everyone is getting ready for Shabbat. And you get a sense of how much goes into the day. The food must be thought of and prepared early. It's a day spent with family and friends and shows how clearly it is a day that is set apart to not do any, do any work, especially fishing, which is extremely unlawful. That it's a holy day, different from the creation work days preceding it. So our passage today opens with Jesus and his disciples walking through the grain fields on Shabbat. And without any explanation about why the Pharisees are there, they jump into the story with accusations. How did they get here? It can't just be by chance that all these men got permission from their wives to take a long walk alone outside Capernaum on Shabbat and have stumbled upon each other in the same location. We know this isn't a coincidence. Jesus has created deep wonder in the hearts of the Jewish teachers, and they have followed him in order to gather information about him, and also to find wrongdoings, missteps, a fault great enough to shut down his seemingly contagious ministry. This is very much a planned work meeting on the non-working day of Shabbat. They've seen him around Capernaum, drawing crowds, disrupting the normal flow of the market. Who is this man? What is he doing today? What is he teaching about? And who are these followers of his? So they're following him. And they see his disciples pluck some heads of grain to eat while Jesus is teaching them. And they're immediately accusatory of them, saying, Look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Quick reminder about what God said about the Sabbath, to rest, or rather to not work. But in order to clarify what that really meant, the Pharisees created 39 different categories of things that were against the law of the Sabbath. So according to one of their new laws, this action which to them was harvesting, was breaking it. They are quick to see the disciples' sin and not their own. Matthew 7, 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? As we continue to answer this question, who is Jesus? Second, he is the one who created the original rules with his father, and he replaces them with himself. He replies very patiently to the Pharisees with a gentle question. He meets them right where their interest is in the teachings from Scripture. Now, this probably has two parts. One is a way to touch on what they know, but two, to demonstrate to them that maybe they don't know everything they think they do about the Scriptures. So he questions them with a story from 1 Samuel chapter 1. When David was running from Saul, And he ends up at the temple and needed something to eat. But the only bread that was left was the bread of the presence, which is this this special bread only for the priests. 
city, and um, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, and it was changed every Sabbath. Jesus is saying to them, listen, there was this great king who bent the rules a little when there was a need before him. Do you know my words like you proclaim to? And do you understand the heart behind these words? That earthly king you hold in such high esteem did what he had to to take care of his men. And oh, by the way, there's a king before you now that is greater than he. And he will do the same. I will do the same. His words were, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So let's break this down. The Sabbath was made for man. This means the Sabbath is a gift. It was made to help man. It was created by God for us, not to burden us. Remember how Keller put it, that Sabbath means the deep rest, the deep peace. He says it's about restoring the diminished, replenishing the drain, repairing the broken. The heart behind this command from the Lord is to rest so that you can be relieved of your labors. He says, rest in me even more so that you can be relieved of your labor towards salvation. I am the source of the deep rest that you need. Sadly, the Jewish tradition in attempting to keep in step with the law had made this restful day a burden to keep. And as a rule follower myself and someone who's not always but often likes things to be spelled out in black and white, I can totally understand the Pharisees creating these extra rules. There are so many passages of scriptures where I'm like, if there was just a little more detail, I feel like I could really follow this really well. I myself have gotten swept up in trying to make some of my own guidelines to make the commands easier to follow. And so I have compassion on these Pharisees since I can see parts of my own sin patterns in them. I can see how they just felt like they're on this hamster wheel. They're running and striving and making rules and adhering to them, maybe while breaking God's. And how getting off to consider what they were doing felt impossibly hard, disorienting, and maybe even wrong. Let's continue to his final thought in this part of the story. Jesus finishes with this. So, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I really wish we could know what the Pharisees did here because we don't hear anything else about it. I'm guessing they were just flabbergasted, flummoxed, all those crazy words for not knowing what to say angry on their hamster wheel of belief about who can say statements like this. And they just slowly pulled away from the disciples and Jesus as they all headed back to town for their Shabbat dinners. I'm wondering how preoccupied they all were during the meal. I imagine their hearts were were in turmoil, their minds were racing, their bodies probably couldn't sleep that night. The sun would soon set on their day to rest, and instead of accepting what even the demons knew to be true about Jesus, they ran faster towards their rule-following pursuit to silence his proclamation. See, Jesus had referred to himself as the Son of Man, and this title is derived from Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14, which says that one like a Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. This description is a messianic title, and now Jesus was assigning that title to himself. This title is one that would have been very familiar to the Jews. Now, the Son of Man title also means that Jesus was fully human, being the Son of Man, i.e. the Messiah in human form, who is also Lord of the Sabbath. And he's saying, hey guys, that Messiah you've been waiting for is here. 
and I'm in charge of this day. And if you want to know the real heart behind all those scriptures you've committed your whole life to studying, then know this. I'm in charge of the Sabbath, and so look to me. Look to how I do life, how I do my ministry, who I care for and when, and how I give myself rest and how I love people. And let go of every law you've created out of nothing because I was there when there was nothing and before time. And I'm the one who created all things, all of life, all of law. And now I'm here to replace that law with myself, with my own life. Jesus is the one who created all the first laws and replaced them with himself. Thirdly, Jesus is the one who challenges our pharisaical thoughts and behaviors. Chapter 3 opens with Jesus in the synagogue, again on Shabbat. And a man with a withered hand is there seeking healing. Pharisees are there again too. And at first read, I have this same reaction I did to their presence at the field. This is not a coincidence, pointing fingers at them for their craziness and judging them for planning this. But they're at the synagogue. This is where they would be. So why is Jesus walking into what seemed like would be a trap against him? Because Jesus meets his children, all of them, where they are, to challenge us and speak directly to our hearts. There was more being offered here than just healing for the man's hand. He also walked into the synagogue for them. He doesn't back down to his children who have doubts or unbelief. He asks all of us returning questions, wanting our hearts to soften, to sense the Spirit's conviction, waiting for our response. So as he reaches out to the withered hand, he asks the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They do not respond outwardly, but he knows their hearts are resisting him. And we can do the same. We can hear the promptings and often know the answer is, okay, yeah, I need to repair that relationship. Yes, I need to confess that sin. Yes, I was wrong. But too often, our hearts are hardened and we are silent. Yet he will not forsake his children. He grieves over our hardness of heart, but he will continue in his pursuit and challenge us when we walk in a direction Contrary to his spirit. Fourth, Jesus is Lord of our bodies and souls. Over healing, over full restoration, over taking a life that looked one way and making it completely different. That is who he is and what he does. Fifth, he is one who has gained a following. He has a following because he is worthy of one. People have come face to face with the Messiah and they know it's him and word is spreading. And in turn, faith is spreading, growing the masses. The last section of our passage today addresses this, that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed him. And it lists all these places, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and beyond the Jordan River and from Tyre and Sidon. And if you look on a map, these places are in every direction around Capernaum. North, south, east, west. And not only that, they're not close. Jerusalem is 80 miles away. Tyre is 35. The Jordan River is 45. People are walking a long way to see him for healing from their afflictions. 
While most were probably short-sighted and simply wanted their immediate circumstances changed, others did accept the message that he was preaching, and the masses were multiplying. Lastly, he is the one who even the demons know as the Son of God. The irony in this passage is how hard the Pharisees are working to deny his power and position that Jesus claims. Yet, even the demons, fighting with the powers of darkness, acknowledge his title as the Son of God. Okay, so recap. Who is Jesus? He creates wonder in us. He established the original laws and replaces them with himself. He challenges our pharisaical thoughts and behaviors. He is Lord over our bodies and souls. He has a following because he's worthy of one. He is the Son of God. Okay, so my next question. So what's he asking of us? And I see three things here. To walk with him, to rest in him, and to have a heart like his. So first, he's asking us to walk with him. The disciples were spending Shabbat with Jesus. Shabbat is this rest day, a day to be enjoyed and spent with people that are close, family and friends. So there's clearly already a relationship that has been built between them. Not only is he a teacher to them, but he is a friend. And he desires the same with us, that we're not just learning from him, but knowing him. Like the disciples with Jesus, it's not just lessons, but laughter. It's sharing. It's a two-way communication friendship. For us, we probably do more of the talking than we would like to admit. What does walking with your father look like? Does he get a word in? Who does most of the talking and most of the listening? Two, he's asking us to rest in him. As I mentioned before, the Sabbath is a day of rest, but ultimately, God commanded a day of rest for us to rest in him. It's not just a pass to do nothing and be lazy. It's a discipline to honor it and to make it what God intended it to be. There was an acknowledgement of keeping the Sabbath in my household growing up. So in establishing my own home, I've tried to keep that as well. But I admit I have some pharisaical Sabbath laws I do to help me feel like I'm Sabbathing better. For instance, the dishwasher is to be emptied by Saturday night so that on Sunday, if anything needs to get put in the dishwasher, it's empty and ready. I'm also pretty crazy about paper products for Sunday when it's possible. And I was leading worship a few weeks ago, and I came home, and Luke had used regular plates for the children, and they were out on the counter. And so I walked in, and I was like, why are there regular plates not in the dishwasher? (laughs) See, I can see how the Pharisees have created all these categories, all these rules, and then are so nasty about them. I wasn't resting in Jesus at all. I was resting in my ideal to not have to do any dishes. So if we are resting in him, we are trusting in him, meaning we are turning over the control. We are saying, you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You are the Lord of today. You are the Lord of tomorrow. You are the Lord. So for those who are kind of wired for productivity and lists and efficiency, bringing everything to a halt can feel really hard to do. It's kind of similar to that hamster wheel. We're just running all week. We have these things in motion, planning, projects, work assignments, food, meal prep, laundry, other chores to keep things going. I've got this. I've got this. I've got this. Then being asked to turn that all off. 
reorienting the focus away from our created work and instead to our deep rest isn't easy. Exactly, it isn't easy. It's a discipline. It is a reminder that we are not the one keeping our tiny kingdoms running or the ultimate providers for our families. We are under his wing. We are under his sovereign control. And submitting to that allows for deep soul rest. And it's not just submitting on Sunday. It's full submission. It's God. You've got this. You've got this. You've got this. All week long. And when Sunday comes, it's just a deep breath out after working hard. Obedient rest after obedient servant work. Since COVID, I've been planning out two weeks worth of groceries and then just stop shopping every other Monday morning. But once we started homeschooling, I wasn't sure really how that was going to work. So it was our second week of school and Monday was upon us. I needed to get food, but I thought, how can I possibly get to two stores, shop, put everything away, still have stamina and make dinner after doing a full day of school tomorrow, as if no one's had to think through this before. I said to Luke, I know I shouldn't do food shopping today, but there's no way this can work. This way, I'll go today, I'll start off the week so ready, meaning so in control, and my kingdom will feel so orderly. So on Saturday, on Sunday afternoon, I went. And that, in conjunction with the other things that we were doing that day, I ended up so spent by the end of the night, and I felt exhausted. And I woke up Monday without any of that restful feeling I thought I'd have. I thought it would have given me this head start, a jump, and a head-of-the-game excitement. And honestly, it was the toughest week we've had yet. I started out so tired, and that tired made me bitter and impatient, and I just kept running faster and faster trying to catch up. Because in my desire to be in control and to create my own kind of rest, instead, I wasted an opportunity to rest in the deep rest, to demonstrate that, yes, Lord, I trust you for my week. I trust you for my life even down to the smallest details like groceries. There is sweet blessing in that surrendering, a gift of the Father's true peace and ultimate filling. God wants us to rest in Him, in nothing else but Him, and in turn, we will be granted a deep rest to restore us, body, mind, and soul. Hebrews 4, 9 and 10 says this, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Jesus urges us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Third thing, to have a heart like his. Okay, so we've established that the Sabbath truly does matter. But what is he ultimately trying to teach the Pharisees here? He wants them to have a heart like his, a heart like his father's. Remember how we established that he is the one who made the original rules? The Pharisees were calling out the disciples for harvesting the grain from the edge of the field. But again, they're missing these really sweet details in what God has already created He had ordained that the edges of the fields were to be left for those who needed it. Leviticus 23.22 says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. 
nor shall you gather the gleanings after you harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And remember how Ruth benefited from that same law when she went to live with Naomi and they had nothing to start out with? Jesus has a heart that is always, always thinking about the less fortunate. His heart is for helping, for caring, for restoring for those who have need. And that's all of us. And he wants us to follow him in this. So when the Sabbath comes up against an opportunity to help or serve, when restoration is a part of that, it is fulfilling exactly what the Sabbath was intended for. The Sabbath was made to restore. The fields met the hunger of the poor. The Sabbath met the hunger of our hearts. God is one whose heart is for the needy and empty, and he longs to fill us. And Jesus demonstrates that in this passage today. He wants the Pharisees and us to see that the laws we and they created for the Sabbath got in the way of loving others. The Pharisees wanting to see the disciples be hungry and the man have a withered hand and have to wait until Monday for healing is the same as me being frustrated that there are non-paper plates on my counters. It's made-up rules that go against the heart of the Father. They go against the mission of restoring and granting soul peace and rest. God wants us to care more about the humans in front of us than a set of rules. The heart of man is easily swayed to self-obsession and meeting our own needs, but the heart of God is for the wanderer, the empty, and the lost. He wants us to have a heart like his. So question three, what are the consequences of not Sabbathing with God's heart intention? Exhaustion, weariness, weakness, impatience, ill-placed self-confidence, emptiness, idolatry, slavery. Tim Keller says that if we cannot observe God's command to honor the Sabbath, it's like being a slave, even a self-imposed one. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to a need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploitative employers, to parental expectations, or to all of the above. These slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. And we want to live with God's heart and mind. We saw in Jesus' second interaction with the Pharisees in this passage how he grieved their hardness of heart, how cold they were to compassion, how careless they were with their ministry to serve. He doesn't want us to miss out on this beautiful ministry of restoring, of bringing reconciliation, of filling a belly with a meal, of offering companionship to the lonely. There are consequences for binding our hearts to our own laws, and it is that we miss out on the good kingdom work that brings him glory and multiplies our faith in innumerable ways. Sisters, may we not miss the opportunity for rest May we not miss the opportunities to trust. May we not miss the opportunities to love the one in front of us. So after studying the scriptures with these questions, I write out a prayer of confession where this stuff is hard and I'm confused or I'm outright missing the mark in it. And then acknowledging again who it is that the word said God is as an assurance of his forgiveness and grace for all that I'm confessing. So I'm going to close our time now with a prayer of confession and acknowledging who our great God is. So would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this good word, this call to walk with you, to have your heart, and to trust in you for our deep rest. And I come just confessing that this is hard. It's hard to let go of control. It's hard to love the faces in front of me well and to put their needs before mine, especially when it's just so exhausting. I confess my need for you. I confess my need for the Sabbath and how I do that wrong so often. Thank you, Father, for your tenderness towards me in this and for your grace when I do miss opportunities to do your kingdom work or to rest in you or to love your children well. Thank you for your completed work on the cross. Help me see that finished work more clearly so I can stop striving to create my own rest and salvation. Thank you for being a God who instills wonder in our hearts. Thank you for being a God who challenges my pharisaical heart and for being the master ruler over my body and soul. God, you alone are worthy to be praised and worshipped. We love you, Father, and it's in Jesus, the precious Son of God's name, that we pray. Amen.